0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: From Backpage, I'm Neil White, and this is Between the Lines, a podcast telling the stories behind great sports writing there was one time when we, we we were meant to go in and see him, but we couldn't go into the
1: gym because Sergio Aguero was also at the gym. I think City were nervous that I'd see Aguero in the gym and report on what he was doing and say that he was injured or whatever. You know, you could tweet it, but what's the you know, why would you sacrifice a story of that's taking you ten months and there's gonna be four thousand words for a, a tweet about a thigh injury to Sergio Aguero? You wouldn't, it doesn't make any sense.
0: In December twenty sixteen the Manchester City midfielder, Ilkay Gundwan, suffered a ruptured anterior cruciate ligament in his right knee during a match against Watford. His 10-month rehabilitation was tracked with unusual access to the player by the journalist Rory Smith, football writer for the New York Times. Those meetings form the spine of a revealing 4,000-word story published to coincide with Gundwan's recent comeback. It's unusual to get this kind of time with a player at one of the big Premier League clubs. Smith talks about how he landed that access and what it gradually revealed about Gundwan. It also reveals something about injured athletes in general. If he was healthy, we'd get Gundwan surrounded by his teammates Aguero, De Bruyne, Silva, Sterling. Instead, the supporting cast here are doctors, physiotherapists, the players' family, even a film director he's hired to document his recovery. The piece we talked about ran under the headline The Lonely Road Back from a Very Public injury. It's still available online.
1: I went to the Celtic PSG game uh, in the Champions League in September, and the security guys at Celtic Park were—they kind of think you're lying when you say that you're there from the New York Times, <laughs> and they sort of said, "Why are the New York Times interested in this?" And so I was—I like, just sort of looked at them and went, "Neymar." Because I'd, I'd thought about kind of indulging their insecurities, and I am just fascinated by Celtic, um, but didn't. I thought, be honest. Um, so yeah, I came on board like a year ago to to cover football. And the logic behind it is that the NYT wants to be seen, I think, as a worldwide news brand, as the BBC is, as I think the Guardian is, uh, rather than kind of being an American news brand. They want to kind of branch out into into other audiences. Yeah. So I, I did ten years working for British papers, mainly broadsheets, um, as a football reporter. And yeah, it's it's kind of the day to day stuff. It's the the press conferences, the matches. That yeah, the, getting news stories, breaking news stories. Uh, interviews, everything that you'd expect from kind of a, a native media culture. Um, whereas what what's exciting about this, and I, I, I'm, I'm from Leeds, so it's really hard for me to get sort of volubly excited about anything. But what's kind of what what really appealed, apart from that, is it's the New York Times. It gives you a chance to to report on stuff that either wouldn't be considered newsworthy enough in Britain to 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 cover, because you know it makes sense. You know, British papers have to think about. What the majority of their readers are interested in. They, there's, there's all that sort of internal competition between the, the kind of nine national dailies. There's there's more Man United fans than there are Shrewsbury fans, so you've got to report on Man United. Whereas we, because we're kind of out of that race, we we can kind of take a, a different perspective. Some of it, some of the stuff that I like I like doing is reporting on stuff that that would be ignored by British papers because it's obvious, and that's quite an interesting way of. Looking at issues you wouldn't ever really have to think about reporting for a British paper because it's kind of it's, it's a it's an accepted part of your kind of football knowledge. It's just part of the the universe in which you live and you wouldn't question it. And the other stuff is that, that I love doing is the stuff that's slightly different and that that doesn't have room to breathe in Britain um, because we're aiming for a slightly more international audience and because American soccer culture is different to to, to European soccer cultures in that it's it's kind of broader. They will watch. Mainly Premier League, but they'll watch Bayern Munich, they'll watch Bundesliga, they'll watch Liga, they'll watch Serie A, they'll watch La Liga. It's all kind of European football uh, to them. So we can kind of get to write about different stuff, stuff that's a bit more kind of offbeat, a bit more niche, uh, and from different pers- perspectives, which is which is really nice. And is yeah, I, I can't complain about my my brief for my job at all. The view is that there's no point us doing a story that everybody else is doing. So we, if there's a big news story, so we covered. Buying sacking Carlo Ancelotti. But the general view is, if there's a story that lots and lots of people are writing, there's no point in us doing it, which is a t- which is totally contrary to the way the British papers think, which is naturally, it's not criticism, is very much, well, look, the Mail are doing this, the Telegraph are doing this, we've got to do it. But I do think that, that the way you stand out, particularly online, is by saying, we have unique content. You know, we want to engage an audience. If I went and pitched them a story about a Czech third division team, they'd say no. But there's, there's a sweet spot, which is where you get a a club or a person that does have a following, but an issue or an aspect of it that that isn't being talked about.
0: OK, so I think the Gundwan piece definitely falls into that category. Um, let's start talking about that in earnest. The headline online um, in The New York Times is an interesting one. The lonely road back from a very public injury. The The piece that runs starts in the immediate aftermath of the injury and ends with Gundwan about to make his return. Um but I want to know not about the injury but about the piece. When when did that begin? When did when did you conceive of this?
1: Uh, so I had always thought it would be great. I don't know whether I you know I don't know whether I read a piece about an American football player or something like that years ago that that kind of tracked his return from injury and that's where the idea came from. But I'd always wanted to do a piece following someone for the duration of an injury to find out kind of what it's like when a player's injured we we sort of we we as journalists we report that they're injured and we report that they've had an operation and then we kind of forget about them for a few, for a few months and then we report that they're on the road to recovery that lacuna of time where they're just kind of absent from and I think fans do that as well but they kind of become absent from our popular imagination it, it just really interested me I think it might have been with someone like Abu Diaby but you sort of thought well what's what's that like for him because it's really easy to to write them off and forget about them, and also to criticise them for being injured. Lots of players get criticised for being injured, which is really hard, and they get this, this reputation for being um, injury-prone. So I just always wanted to kind of do something along those lines. And then a friend of mine at Borussia Dortmund got in touch and said, look, I do a bit of work with Ilkai's uncle, Ilhan, who is also his agent, they're just wondering whether... You know, you might like to have a coffee with Ilhan and talk about stuff you can do. This was before the injury. And I kind of thought, right, obviously, you never, ever turn down a chance to to meet a relative or agent of a player. Certainly not one of that calibre. And I said, yeah, definitely, let's set it up. And sort of got in touch with Ilhan and we kind of tried to work out a date when he was in Manchester and when I was around and didn't really work. And then Ilkay tore his cruciate ligament. And I think it was a few days after that that, that me and Ilhan finally got together and he sort of said, well, look, we could wait until uh, he's back, you know, it'd be six, nine months, something like that. Wait till he's back and we could do a piece about how he's come back and what have you. Does, I think he was thinking this, this chance has gone because he's injured now. So no one will care. And I said, yeah, that would be fine. You know, if you sit down with him, you know, a month after he's come back and he's, and he's playing again and you can talk about it all and that's great. That perfectly good piece, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, or we could do something different and we could, we could just follow the injury and it would, it would be sort of a few months down the line that you see any reward for it or any return. But I think it would be a much more unique piece. And Ilhan, who's a, a really bright guy and a really interesting guy, thought about it, went to Ilkai, They had a chat. They chatted to City to see whether it was feasible. And we all kind of agreed that it would work. If he'd not torn his cruciate ligament that Wednesday, it could well have been that I just sort of sat down with Ilkay, you know, a few days before Christmas and had a chat. That may well have been what happened. But as it turned out, uh, the injury came just as we were trying to set it up.
0: And were you involved in the conversation with City at all? I mean, you must have contacts there.
1: Yeah, we. we I, should, I know them relatively well and have always, I think, have always gotten quite well with them. They might have a different opinion. And I kind of sat with Ilhan and, and one of City's PR guys and talked about kind of how I envisioned it working and, and what sort of access I'd need and when and how often and what the limitations would be on what they could do and what they couldn't do. And they were, I think they were up for it. And I Looking back, I wonder whether both they and Ilhan were thinking that it was good for Ilkai to have a kind of project. I'm not saying we're best mates, me and Ilkai, but I think it was probably quite nice for him occasionally to think, all right, OK, well, I've got to do this New York Times thing rather than just I've got another evening sitting at home, staring at the ceiling, wondering if my knee hurts in the right way or the wrong way. City, to be fair to them, were, it's rare you say this about a Premier League club now, but they were, they were really open to the idea that it, it was different but not frightening.
0: And how far up the food chain does that have to go? Something like that—a request like that. I mean, would, would Guardiola have been involved, or is it just a case of the sort of the recovery team that you had around him and the communications guys?
1: Yeah, well, the, the, the comms team obviously has to be on board. The medical department. So Max Sala, who's the, the the chief doctor, but he's kind of in charge of the medical department. I think he was consulted as to how much access. I think there's, there's certain fears that they don't they don't want to give away. I don't think we did in the end, but they. I think one of the concerns was that they, it might give away kind of secrets of the recovery process or stuff they do that maybe other clubs aren't. All football clubs are inherently secretive with with their knowledge. Um, So he had to be consulted. I don't think Pep had to sign it off, but I suspect he knew it was happening. Um, But Manel Estiarte, who's kind of Pep's right hand man and fixer, I think he was probably the one the one who was was it was taken to and said, look, is this okay if we do this? And one of the reasons it would be difficult to do something like this for a British paper is so in April, Ilkay got tonsillitis and he was ill for... About three weeks and ended up having his tonsils out and it set his recovery back now if i was working for a british paper i would have had to report that i would have had to report he has been set back by a month in his in his comeback and in the event i don't think it did i think it came at probably about the right time if he was going to be ill um but obviously we that that means nothing to the new york times player that the vast majority of new york times readers hadn't heard of at that point or were only sort of vaguely aware of is in is ill is not a story worthy of the new york times so we have that freedom where a british paper wouldn't but explaining that to city was probably the trickiest bit because there was one time when we, we, we were meant to go in and see him but we couldn't go into the gym because Sergio Aguero was also at the gym in the gym and they didn't want I think City were nervous that I see Aguero in the gym and report on what he was doing and say that he was injured or whatever because that's how journalists function and that's how football clubs assume journalists will function but for a story like that we again the story you know Sergio Aguero has a three-week injury problem is not a story for the New York Times they don't care convincing City look we won't be intrusive but even if we do see stuff we're not meant to see then it's not necessarily a problem because I can know it I don't have to report it it's you know you could tweet it but what's the you know why would you sacrifice a story of that's taking you 10 months and there's going to be 4,000 words for a, a tweet about a thigh injury to Sergio Aguero you wouldn't doesn't make any sense
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush
1: care
0: Okay, so you mentioned when you made the pitch to them there, the level of access, the frequency of access. Can you walk us through as much as you can remember, you know, the frequency of, of contact between you and Gunvan and where you were and how that all worked? Yeah, well,
1: so in in, in terms of seeing seeing him, obviously we, we kind of exchanged. I was in regular touch with Ilhan, his uncle and agent. The names get very confusing. And Ilkan, who is Ilkan's cousin and lives with him in Manchester, they were the two kind of points of contact. We probably saw him every two weeks initially until about, April, and then he became a little bit more elusive, which it turned out was because he was ill. Um, so it was probably once every three weeks. Uh, and then we, we decided to let him have a bit of a, a bit of time off in the summer when he went to LA. Three times over the summer, and a couple of chats on the phone sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, it
0: probably averaged out once every two weeks,
1: I guess. Wow, um,
0: that's more, th- that's that's way more than I thought you were going to say when I asked that question.
1: Well, it's yeah, it's, it's difficult, because you sort of think, well, I could have seen him a lot more, and it would have been good to see him a lot. Obviously, I, I have other stuff to report on. Uh, I couldn't sort of devote my entire life to to ill tried underwear. I didn't want to annoy him. Just that the, there comes a point where where pushing it too much. Would run the risk of him kind of drawing away almost and thinking I, I can't really be bothered with this anymore and kind of once you're kind of halfway down the line you don't want to end up with a story that's really detailed until kind of three months in and then suddenly it gets a bit sketchy because the players has lost lost all interest I'm not a naturally very pushy person it's a massive professional drawback but I didn't so I didn't I didn't really want to annoy him but also I kind of wanted to get that that effect of seeing how he progressed it from my own my own interpretation so I didn't want to see him every day because obviously if you see him every day or every week you end up with incremental change you can't really tell how quickly it's going or how much it's dragging whereas i thought if you take a bit more space and time you might see all right you know what it does look like you have moved on now or it doesn't look like you have moved on or i thought you should be further ahead or not not as far ahead this is going quickly So to create that impression, I thought it was quite a good balance to see him once every two, two and a half, three weeks. Otherwise, you just get kind of bogged down in the detail and think, right, okay, so this this knee exercise is slightly different to the knee exercise I saw last Thursday. What does that mean?
0: On the level of detail, and there is, you know, fascinating detail all through this piece, not just the medical stuff, but you know, you've got the brand name of the specific cryotherapy unit that he uses. You've got the fact that he's drinking ginger green tea. You know, you name the restaurants that he goes to with um, the seven, you know, the group of family and friends that he hangs out with. When it came to the detail about the injury, well, how much research did you have to do and who were your main sources for the, the intricacies of ACL injuries?
1: Uh, Well, Ilkay himself, obviously, who who kind of took quite a lot of interest in it. Um, I've got friends who've been through it, so they kind of gave me an idea of how it worked. Uh, City's medical people uh, helped me out with little bits of descriptions of the surgery and stuff. And then James, the physiotherapist, who was brilliant for kind of explaining exactly what he was doing, why he was doing it and what the schedule was um i really I, the one regret i have one of many regrets i have it's not near, the piece isn't nearly long enough is my main regret should have been at least three or four times as long but i never got to kugat the surgeon who i think is a really interesting guy i kept trying to get to him and just couldn't he's a, apparently i'm not quite sure why he's apparently quite kind of media friendly uh, but I, I, he does some really interesting stuff in the surgery um he uses like platelets to boost the red blood levels which in uh which accelerates the the way the 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 knee injury kind of heals. He's used um stem. He pioneered the use of stem cells in knee surgery and stuff, uh, which I checked out with City. He didn't use stem cells in the in Ilkay surgery, but I, I would have really liked to talk to have been taught through the actual surgery by him, but he couldn't for some reason. He 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 well couldn't wouldn't didn't want to uh, get involved, unfortunately, uh, which would, have, I think, added, have added an extra layer to it.
0: OK, you mentioned a couple of names there, Dr. Kugat being one, you've already mentioned Max La and James Baldwin. There's also Arthur Yankowski, the seven who we mentioned, who are one's kind of gang that kind of guide him through this process. There's obviously Pep on the outside of the story, the player himself. And yet there is a surprising lack of quotes, and that's not criticism at all. It's actually what I think is a, quite an American style of sports writing where the level of access gives you the confidence to tell the story yourself. I don't know if that's a conscious thing with you or if that's your personal style. Uh,
1: it's, probably, it is, it's probably a conscious thing to an extent, because uh, I agree with you. I think that's a much more American way of writing. But you know what? The, one, of the, one of the journalists I admire, admire the most in Britain is Danny Taylor from The Guardian. And Danny is brilliant for many, many reasons. But one of the things he's really good at is if you're given a... A detail that you can corroborate by somebody, by the person you're, you're you're profiling, then you don't need to put it in their words because you can say right, well that's that is what happened. I can establish that that is what happened. This isn't a sort of flagrant lie. So you write it in in a normal sentence. I don't know how, but through some sort of weird alchemy, just lends the piece much more lends the whole thing much more authority. You don't have to quote people. I, I hate writing the word I in stories. And I avoid it at all costs if I can. But there's no reason why the the kind of the, the narrator's voice of a story. Should be totally kind of naive and without knowledge and without kind of expertise. If you know stuff, say you know stuff, and it, it does lend, it does change the. Certainly, as a reader, it makes me think this person knows what they're talking about, and I suppose that's the motivation behind doing it, rather than just attributing everything to quotes. And the other thing is that often, if a, if a, and this is very much an NYT thing, if a quote's not good, don't use it. We have to. In Britain, you can kind of elide the quotes, so. If you have 100 words, but only the first 20 and the last 20 are any good, you can just knock out the middle 60. Whereas we don't do that. You you either run the quote in full or not at all. And if they're kind of mumbling a bit in the middle, it takes up words that you don't, even in a 4,000-word piece, you know, words you don't want to give away for free. So you don't use the quote. It's a, it's a waste of momentum. It's a waste of words. It's a waste of space. If you can express the same sentiment in one sentence that they took 100 words to, to express then why would you give them the words and not to do it yourself
0: and the other side of that is that you end up with only interesting characterful quotes so the subject comes out sounding like an absolutely fascinating guy you know you're 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 telling the story you've the only quotes that we read are really adding something you know, they're really valuable
1: which is which is what quotes should be and yeah i've not thought of that before but um yeah i guess that there is a a knock on effect that the subject sounds like they they only speak in these kind of very brief aphorisms but every one of them is absolutely spot on the which isn't the case with anybody although ilkai not bad to be fair ilkai doesn't he's not he's not a sort of rambler um he's he's quite quiet and tends to say things relatively concisely and meaningfully and if he doesn't think he's got something to add he he tends not to bother um so it's it's probably a a fair a fairish reflection of what he's like but yeah it 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 doesn't there's nothing worse than reading kind of those those long drawn out slightly pointless quotes that you get in a lot of pieces where you sort of think well this isn't i don't really need to know this this is meaningless so th- the idea is to tell the story and the quotes the quotes that you use should add to that story and i'm not saying that i'll, I'll don't write a piece tomorrow or something that's full of meaningless quotes but um and you can't always do it but with so we, because of the amount of time we had with ilki you could take you know I, I had something like 30 20 or 25 pages of um of transcript and you could you could go through it which was which wasn't a fun job but you could kind of go through it and think all right well i don't need that i don't need that i don't need that but that 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 line that one line or those two lines they encapsulate this entire two-page section i don't need any of the rest of it you don't need to just pad it with quotes to look like you've spoken to them a lot it's far better to observe them and and kind of interpret it through, through your own through your own eyes i think you mentioned sort of
0: we when you were discussing the the access there we saw them every two weeks is that you, yourself and the photographer Kieran Dodds?
1: Yeah, my my Scottish friend Kieran Dodds, uh, who is whose pictures were fantastic. Unbelievable. And who, yeah, yeah, the pictures the pictures are way better than the words. I didn't want to um, say that, but well, no, they yeah. are, they are, and the, and that, to be honest, that's the way it should be because they're artists and we're artisans. Now, Kieran came with not every time, to be fair. There was a few two towards the end. Kieran's got two very young kids, uh, and so and lives in well, was in the middle of moving from Glasgow to Edinburgh, so was um occasionally a little bit um harder to found it harder to come to Manchester whereas Ilkai lives about twenty minutes away from me, um although in a much nicer place uh, and yeah, but Kieran was was there most of the time uh, and yeah, the pictures were astonishing. It's interesting talking to Kieran about it as well because I think Kieran went in with maybe obviously with a different perspective to me of what he was expecting it was through his pictures that he built a narrative in his head of, of kind of what the story should be he got really worried that there weren't enough pictures of people of Ilkai with people and he said something in kind of June or July or something he sort of said well I'm a bit worried because there's not enough pictures of Ilkai with people he's always on his own and I said well yeah but that's kind of the point isn't it that he's always on his own the inherent story is the same which is that this is a, a lonely not a lonely guy but a guy in a in a lonely situation trying to cope with it rather than Kieran's pictures being full of kind of joy and Happiness and ill kind with, with with his mates the entire time, having a brilliant time being injured, and me writing this copy saying, "Oh, actually, it's really difficult." Does that obviously would have would have jarred? So it was really nice that the pictures kind of do sell so well with what I was trying to say in the work
0: Although he does go to New York and Vegas and L.A. and Turkey, so you know, it's not all bad for the for the, for the guy. Yeah, it's. it's
1: it... There's advantages to be one of the. Do you know when, when we published it uh, a few weeks ago? It went on the home page of the NYT, and the the initial comments were obviously all from people who'd
0: seen it on the home page, who were not necessarily sports fans. Yeah, we're going we're like, to get to the comments because I love the comments. Well, which one are you going to refer to? <laughs>
1: Well, there were, I just thought the whole – the two the two reactions that I wasn't really expecting at all, that I got one on Twitter. On Twitter, it was mainly people saying um, – well, a lot of people saying they enjoyed it, which was wonderful. But there's so a lot of people sort of saying, oh, I've, I've done my ACL or I've broken my ankle or I've done this, that or the other. And I was really surprised by the number of people who've had ACL injuries who aren't footballers. But on the home page, a lot of the comments were about why don't you report on people who, who don't have all this support? You know, he's, he's an athlete. It's his job to get fit. It's very sort of lacking in sympathy, which I guess is the tone of the internet in general. Yes. But it kind it kind of that was kind of why I wanted to write it because I think that's the problem that we do lack in sympathy for for, in, for injured players. We think we think of them as being in some way flawed, as though the injury is is a manifestation of their inherent weakness, and we don't realise necessarily what they're going through. You sort of think that's a bit disheartening that your your view is well, he sh- so if, if this guy can't walk for three months, it doesn't matter he's he's rich, which is I think a really sort of reductivist viewpoint. It was interesting that that was the reaction, and you sort of think well, all right, that, that maybe it was worth doing it because if the if the idea behind the piece was to say being injured is really hard this is what he's having to deal with then that that is clearly something that people need to learn you know the fact that he could go off to Vegas and to California or whatever and to, to Turkey and you know have these occasional sort of Adidas junkets to Stockholm and to Moscow that's great but they, they didn't really make him, make him feel any better just he was genuinely gutted for 10 months to not be able to play football uh, the kind of the look you can't deny the luxury of his life or how fortunate he he is and he doesn't ever make any attempt to kind of say anything try it like oh you know i don't care about money or but at the same time i don't i think to dress it up as though you know he he, he doesn't care about being injured it, it doesn't bother him is is totally wide of the mark because it, it was what i saw of it, it it's psychologically a really tough thing to go through whether you've got money or not yeah.
0: my favorite comment began you probably never thought about it but cats have acls too <laughs> i didn't see that yeah. one. but I, I presume they do <laughs> there was a line that jumped out that both talks to the player's unquestionable wealth you know the the fact that he is a top earning premier league footballer in 2017 and has everything that comes along with that but also something about the loneliness of that guy as he recovers and kind of i guess the search for stuff to do and also the search for a way to make sense for all you mentioned that he's hired a film director to to shoot his recovery.
1: Yeah, so Andy Hinsliff is a mate of mine who did his ACL about 15 times because he's got really weak knees and he was told during one of them to write a diary. And the the doctors, I think, thought – the, the part, no one's ever confirmed this, it's just my interpretation, but a lot of it must be to give them something to do while they're injured. And that, that must be the motivation for, for a lot of the, this stuff. But they told Andy to write a diary because he might like to refer back to it when he was older and to kind of remember what he'd been through. So he did. And I think there was a vague idea of publishing it, but amazingly, no one wanted to read Andy Hinchcliffe's knee diary. <laughs> I think what Ilkheim tried was, was – what he came up with was something very similar, but just for a new generation of player with a different kind of set of resources, different set of interests. Uh, and so he he'd been talking about it at the start of kind of I might hire a director to film the recovery. And he, he did. And I saw them in New York and they um, they were around at his flat a couple of times. And they kind of followed him around and got some footage. And he's not sure. I don't think I haven't spoken to him about it for a while, but I'm not sure whether he he. He intends to kind of publish it or to make it public. We, we kind of talked about maybe it's something he could put on City's website when he's back to full fitness. It may be that they still do that. Um I think it was partly that he wanted something to do and a creative project. It's partly that he's quite interested in things like photography and film. Uh, he's not. I think it's really weird why people criticize players for not having hobbies. I don't have any hobbies. I work and I, and I sort of see people that I like and I walk my dog. I don't have any, I'm, I don't sort of, you know, I don't do model trains or anything and players don't. Ilkai is a normal 26 year old man in the sense that he likes spending time with his friends. He plays on, he plays FIFA. You know, he's, he's not kind of. Going to antique fairs or anything like that, but he is quite interested in kind of photography and and film and and things like that, visual arts, I guess. So I think he was intrigued by the the possibilities that something like that would offer. He may be want people to know that although he has had these long layoffs through injury, that it's not a reason to forget him or to judge him negatively. I think that probably does hurt him a little bit. He he mentioned that, that he didn't want to be forgotten, and that's why he's he's active on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. Um, he didn't want people to kind of think of him as just a player who has lots of injuries. I think he's aware that people view him as an injury-prone player, and I think that impression annoys him. And I wonder whether he kind of conceived of a, of a film as a way of saying, actually, look, injuries aren't
0: a sign of weakness. Coming back from them is a sign of strength. Thanks to Rory for agreeing to this interview, the first in a new series. Keep up with Rory's writing for the New York Times. Follow him on Twitter, listen to his podcast, The Set Piece Menu. If you like this, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And if you've read a story that you think would make a good feature for the podcast, let us know on Twitter at backpagepress or email backpage at backpagepress.co.uk. We'll be back next week with an interview with Simon Cooper, the author and journalist, about his breakthrough book, Football Against the Enemy.